morning, everyone. It is good to see you all here today. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you, multiply His grace to you as you come to worship Him. And if you're joining us for the live stream, we're glad to have you with us as well. Uh, I actually don't have any announcements to make, but it doesn't mean that we don't have anything going on in the life of our church. Uh, and for that, I want to continue just to point people to some of the things that we always have going on. Uh, we have men's and women's uh, Bible studies that go on on a regular basis. Uh, we have the Sunday school on Sunday mornings at 9 to 10 a.m., and one way that I always try to encourage people to, to be involved with is the community groups. So if you have yet to be a part of those, or if you have maybe been visiting for some time and are looking to uh, check those out, there is a back wall where we have sort of the different community groups that meet throughout the week, and you can find one that might fit your location and schedule. And it's always just a great way just to get plugged into the life of the church, to get to know other believers, uh, to share prayer requests, to be encouraged and just to center yourselves around the Word of God in a, a context of a small group. And it's intended to be also just a, a means of grace. And uh, you and I both know that, that life is hard, and especially at times living as a Christian is difficult, and hence why we so desperately need uh, the fellowship of the body of Christ. And it's one of the reasons why uh, being here on Sunday mornings uh, matters so much. Because there's, and you probably are here and have a lot of things going on in your own world, and perhaps you might be feeling like, you know what, uh, community is not really what I'm looking for. I'd rather just sort of be, uh, just be by myself, don't really want to kind of uh, share what's going on in my life. But those are the seasons when you most desperately need uh, community and fellowship uh, in the body of Christ. And so even as you come here this morning, let us go to the Lord and let us cast our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ and sing of his praises for he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, let us pray to the Lord as well, asking that he may graciously bless us. And let us go before him and submit our hearts and our minds to his word to see what he has uh, to, uh, to, to speak to us about this morning. And so may you be encouraged, may you be strengthened. Uh, may you be corrected if correction is what you need most in this season. And even that, the Lord mean, intended to be a means of grace uh, to your soul. And so let us draw near to the Lord and let us, let us worship him this morning. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship. church. Let's worship together. Amen. Your glorious cause. In your glorious cause, O oh God, engages our hearts. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. And we ask not for ourselves, for your renown the cross has saved us so we pray your kingdom come let your kingdom come let your will be done so Till your soul. 
morning, Father, for you are worthy. Amen. Sing together. Give us your strength, O oh God. Give us your strength, O oh God. Encourage to speak. Perform. Perform your wondrous deeds through those who are weak. Lord, use us. Lord, use us as you want, whatever the task. By grace, we'll preach your gospel till our dying
shall return. He shall return in power to reign into heaven. And heaven and earth will join to say, Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. Then who shall fall on
Lord, as, as we look back to the day or the night or the moment where you opened our eyes, Lord, to the conviction of our sin, exposing, Lord, Exposing our fallenness, Lord, and bringing us to your feet, either through your word or by the preaching of your word, Father. Helping us to believe in Christ Jesus and the gospel that saved us. Lord, all we can do is worship you and give you thanks, Lord, for that moment. For it is in that moment, Lord, that you graciously provided us, Lord, eternal life in Christ Jesus. God, that right there is a miracle and a privilege to be welcomed into your family, Lord. God, thank you for your amazing grace. For now we can walk in freedom in Christ Jesus. That is why we worship you together as a church Sunday mornings, Lord. And so I pray, Father, today that you may continue to be glorified now in your word as we sit under your word. May we be encouraged, Lord, and edified for your glory. Father, we, I ask you all these things, Lord, and we, and we praise you for all these things. And in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, uh, you may be seated. At this time, we'll also be dismissing uh, the children to their classrooms. Amen. I'm reading from Isaiah 33, verses 13 to 17, and then we'll spend some time in prayer. Hear, you who are far off, what I have done, and you who are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has ceased the godless. Who among us can dwell with a consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hands lest they hold the bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil, he will dwell on the heights, his place of defense will be the fortresses of rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. prophet here in this passage helps us to look to the day that we will see, where we will see you in the, splend in the splendor of your glory, robed in the beauty of your majesty and honor. Even as we read these words, Lord, we also understand that human language is so limited. 
that what we read here does not do justice to how amazing your splendor actually is. Not only are you a king robed in splendor and glory and honor and majesty for what you have done for us in creation of the world and saving sinners, but also because of who you are, for you are the eternal word, the one who existed before time, the one who is forever enduring, the one who is God. And we read in the Gospels how Jesus prays for his people that they might be with him where he is to see his glory. Lord, may that, may your desire, may be our desire as well to one day behold the King in his beauty, to fix our eyes on your glory, Lord. You are an awesome king, and you are a blessing to your people. And Lord, as your people, we come before you. Lord, we confess to you just how difficult life oftentimes is. As we live in a secular world, as we live in a world that is governed by human rulers who do not know God, But we come before you, Jesus, as one who is sympathizes with our weaknesses, one who lived as a man and understands full well the difficulties of living in a world that does not honor God. And yet you oftentimes responded in grace or with patience or with love or with humility. And Lord, we admit that we don't always respond in those ways. Instead of responding with grace, sometimes we respond with anger. Instead of being patient, we give ourselves over to impatience and say things or do things that we regret. We might even slander at times. We might even curse. Forgetting that we have been made citizens of your glorious kingdom. Lord, forgive us our sins. Forgive us for the ways that we have failed to live out our citizenship. Forgive us for the ways that we have failed to live as sons and daughters of the living God. But we thank you, Lord, because your grace has not only redeemed us from our sins, but is also the grace that continues to abide with us And it is the grace that continues to sustain us. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be patient. Help us to resist temptation. Help us to walk in love. Help us to abide in prayer. Help us by your Spirit to imitate the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray this morning for Dan and Jane as they continue to embark in their journey of marriage. Father, we pray that you would continue to bless their home, bless their marriage to your glory. Help them to establish 
godly rhythms that they will take with them for decades and as they grow their family. Father, we pray that you would help them to be filled with grace and patience towards one another. We pray, Father, that their marriage would be a powerful display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for for Paula Bowie. Lord, we pray for the salvation of those who are dear to her, for those that she desperately desires to be saved. Lord, we pray that you would draw near to her, that she might abide in the vine who is Jesus Christ, and that she may continue to seek you each and every day. Lord, we pray for those who are in a season of trial, for those who are finding it painfully difficult, whether it is in ho- at the home, in the workplace. Lord, your word tells us in the book of James that trials are intended to test and strengthen our faith in order to produce steadfastness. And when steadfastness has its full effect, your people will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lord, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of suffering, would you help your people to see the blessings of these trials and produce the steadfastness that they need each and every day to continue to walk the way of wisdom. Encourage the heart of your people, strengthen those who are weak. We pray that they may continue to fix their eyes on Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for world missions. We pray specifically for the Kari, Kari in Nigeria. This people group who many have yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would bring more laborers into this mission field, even though they are not welcome to Christians, that you would change the hearts of many. We pray, Lord, that you would soften their hearts, open their minds. We pray for those who are believers that you would give to them a winsomeness, a persuasiveness as they share the gospel. Give them courage and boldness. We pray, God, that many would hear the gospel and brought to a conviction of their sins and turn to the living God as their Savior. Lord, we continue to pray for revival, Lord, in New England. We pray, God, that you would, there would be an outpouring of your Spirit, that it would bring a great conviction of sin, a reality or apprehension of the reality of heaven and hell, and that many would be brought to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray for our country. We pray specifically for pregnancy centers across the country, many of which are still vandalized and many of which are still being threatened. Father, we pray that you would protect these centers. We pray that you would protect the people who work in these pregnancy centers. Lord, continue to give them courage. Give them a steadfastness to continue in their work bless their efforts. 
and continue to provide for all that they need. And lastly, Lord, we pray, we pray for those who work in the area of engineering. Lord, bless the work of their minds as they solve issues and complex problems in the workplace. We pray that you would bless the work of their hands as they create and repair. Lord, give them favor with those that they work with. Help them to respond with grace when things are stressful at work. Give them great patience. Help them to be a light of the gospel around those that they work with. Lord, we entrust you for all of these things, and we look forward to all that you are going to do. We ask, God, that you might continue to graciously draw near to us as we seek to draw near to you. And Lord, we also join our hearts as we pray, also the prayer that you have taught us to pray in the scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please turn with me to Ecclesiastes. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, we're reading verses 5 to verse 20. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, picking up in verse 5. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, where your king, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is a son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time. For strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, 
or some winged creature will tell the matter. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, your word tells us that if anyone shall lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. Lord, we come before you asking that you might give us wisdom. We need this wisdom for life, for godliness. Help us, Lord, to heed the wisdom of your word, to apply it to our lives, and that we might also encourage one another to wear the crown of wisdom and live the good life as it is defined to us in your sacred word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the preacher of Ecclesiastes continues the contrast that we saw last week, this contrast between wisdom and folly. And throughout Ecclesiastes, and certainly in Proverbs, but as we've been looking at these words of wisdom the past couple of weeks, one of the things that we continue to see is that wisdom is the crown of the good life. So if for whatever reason you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon, because it all essentially just ties together. It's all running under the same thing, and it's the applicational thrust continues to be the same, and that is value wisdom, get wisdom, have an appetite for wisdom, because wisdom is the crown of the good life. So the preacher continues to contrast wisdom and folly, and he gives us here several proverbs. Now, a proverb is just a, a short saying that expresses a general truth for practical and godly living. And the wonderful thing about proverbs is that they're just immensely practical. And some of them are quite easy to understand, and many of them also just require some contemplation, some deep thinking to understand what the proverb is actually about. But many of them are very easy to understand and very practical. So we continue this contrast between wisdom and folly, and the good life is the life of wisdom. And so if we would heed the word of the scriptures, if we would live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God, then we would do well to live the life of wisdom. But the life of wisdom is not without difficulty, which we'll see later on. But first, consider the way of the fool and the way of the wise. The word says, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. So as we, continue the, as we consider the contrast between wisdom and folly, this passage gives us a picture of the person who's characterized by folly, and that person fails to weigh the consequences of their actions. And certainly, we've been there. We've made mistakes. You perhaps might carry regrets with you that could have been perhaps avoided if you had simply given thoughts to the consequences of your actions. But there are certainly times when, perhaps driven by passions, we come 
with, up with a wonderful idea or a great idea, and we just run with it, and perhaps we run with the idea in an unwise manner, and then there are consequences that come about that we wish were not the case. But a wise person gives thoughts to their steps. Does it mean, of course, that you'll know everything to expect? It's not, not like we are God and we can have this foreknowledge to see what will come about with absolute certainty, but we sort of work with what we got. We try to understand our actions and what the possible repercussions of our actions might be. So as the preacher continues to give us a picture of the good life, the good life is lived by the one who who considers the consequences of his actions, but it's not just, but anybody can do that. The preacher is also considering the life of the secular person. Certainly, you don't have to be a believer in God to consider the consequences of your actions. But he is contrasting the wise and the foolish. And according to the scriptures, the one who is characterized by folly is one who fails to heed the word of God. And the one who lives a life of wisdom, one who lives in the fear of the Lord. But the one who walks in folly is like a person who tries to break through a wall. Walls in the ancient times were built by just putting stones together without mortar. But the thing about those kinds of walls is that it made it perfect places for snakes to hide. If you find if a person was trying to break through a wall, perhaps trying for, perhaps maybe for malicious intent, trying to get to the other side to break into someone's house, they break through the wall, they might find that snake comes out and bites. So in the same way, or in this way, this person fails to consider the consequences of his actions. Not just that, but this person might also be characterized by a carelessness towards consequences. Maybe they have been advised or warned against the consequences of their actions, but they don't care. It doesn't matter to them. Because they're driven by their folly, driven by their passion, driven by their flesh. Now, if we wish to live the good life as defined by the Scriptures, yes, it is wise for us to consider the consequences of our actions, but even more so, it is wise to consider the consequences of sin. Because sin certainly has its consequences. Here in the passage, we have he tells us about a pit. He who digs the pit will fall into it. A pit in the scriptures oftentimes is a proverbial picture of poetic justice. So for example, Psalm 57 verse 6, the psalmist says, They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Psalm 7 verse 15, He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole he has made. The point of those psalms and the point of the passage here in Ecclesiastes is that sinners in their sinning dig up their own pit of destruction. Because sin is like a boomerang. 
that once the sin of boomerang is thrown, eventually the boomerang will return. You're not able always to tell when that boomerang will return. And God makes it so that the sin is returned upon the person who threw it. We have here also the image of a snake. In the scriptures, sometimes the snake can be an image of lurking retribution. In Amos 5.18, speaking of the day of the Lord, as received by those who walk in a godless way, it says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Or take, for example, the Apostle Paul when he was shipwrecked with other sailors and they landed on an island and the snake bit him in the hand and the people there thought with his divine justice, this man certainly has, must have done something wrong and therefore God has visited, visited his sin upon him. But Paul was an innocent man and so nothing happened to him. And we have other examples in scriptures. Joab, a general of God's army, killed two righteous men. It was decades later when his sins was visited upon him and he lost his life. Shimei was a man who cursed King David with a grievous curse, got away with it because David was gracious to him. But later on, many years later, he paid for it with his life. The point is, is that sin is like a credit card. And every time you sin, it's another charge, another charge, another charge. And the bill comes due, always. It always comes due. So as we read the passage here, this isn't just about practical tips for decision-making. But if we would be wise unto salvation, we will also consider the consequences of our sins. Now, yes, certainly for those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ... Our sins have been visited upon his son so that Christ has absorbed the penalty of our sins. But if we were to continue to go on sinning in a pattern of sin, perhaps hiding our sin from others, we should expect that at some point our sin will find us out. Verse 10, of the iron is blunt, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. So the wise plan and prepare. So they're not primarily driven by their passions, but we need wisdom, because wisdom can sometimes function as this kind of straitjacket. When we would be tempted by our carnal desires, wisdom can function like a kite to the string of our passion so that we're not sort of being led astray by every wind of passion. Wind, or rather wisdom, can be sort of the leash to ravenous passion. It is wisdom that enables us to pause, to think, to reflect, to pray, to seek godly counsel and advice. Now, Anyone can plan, anyone can prepare, right? Even a secular person can plan and prepare, and there is a measure of wisdom in doing so. 
But the difference between the person who's characterized by folly, who still plans and prepares, and the person who walks in the way of the Lord is that the person who walks in the way of the Lord plans and prepares with an eye towards God. I mean, how often do we get ourselves into trouble by planning things out and then praying for God's blessing? I haven't done that before. You plan, you strategize, you systematize, you set the plan in motion, you know exactly what you want to do, you go in that direction you want, and then you pray for God's blessing. And if you haven't been met with trouble in cases like that, it's because God's been gracious to you. And perhaps you've had the opposite example when you've done that and you have been met with nothing but obstacles. Perhaps to try to get you to learn the lesson that you must plan and prepare with an eye towards God. And why would you not plan and prepare with an eye towards God? Because God is a God who is gracious and compassionate, who is a father to his people, who cares about the life of his people. So why would you not include the Lord as you prepare and as you plan, as you consider your ways, whether it's career choice, whether it's how you find, handle your finances? The Lord knows what is best for each and every one of us. And sometimes it's not consistent with what we want but faith is trusting in the God who cares for us and that his ways are better than ours. Psalm 37, 23 tells us the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong for the Lord upholds his hand. What a wonderful truth that that psalm says that those walk in the fear of the Lord essentially tells us that God delights in his way. Now you, when you walk in a way of wisdom, when you wear the crown of wisdom that is walking in the fear of the Lord, God establishes your steps and he delights in your way. Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. Or some translations say the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? So folly, as I, if you might remember from last week, in describing some of the characteristics of the person of folly, one of those characteristics is that they don't stop talking. They like to listen to themselves and not listen to others. In addition to that, they have a tendency to speak about things that they don't quite understand as if they knew them and give off the impression as if they are more knowledgeable than they really are. Now, it's not saying that the person of folly doesn't ever have anything good to say, but it says that the general character of his words from beginning to end are folly, in large part, the reason why they are folly is because they are not seasoned with the flavor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because their heart hasn't been transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But a person given to foolish talk is consumed by his foolish talk. 
The words, his words consume his reputation. We saw in verse 3 last week where it says in chapter 10, verse 3, even when a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool, so he cannot display his foolishness. The words of a fool impact or consume his character. James chapter 3, verse 6 says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The words of a fool impact his good or his ability to do good with his words. Ephesians 4.29 tells us, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion so that it may give grace to those who hear. Only those who have been, whose words are flavored with the gospel of Jesus Christ can speak to one another as to build them up, to encourage them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whereas a person of folly cannot do that kind of good to others. And lastly, the words of a fool consume the man himself. Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty six, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. Wisdom shuts the gate of our mouth when we would otherwise be tempted to revile and slander others. Wisdom responds with grace instead of anger. Wisdom knows when to listen and when to speak. Wisdom perfumes our words so that we may say those things that build up instead of tear down. The minister Charles Bridges says, the person of wisdom considers his tongue as a talent to be used for his master's glory. And having his heart as a treasury filled with the things of God, his gracious words will be full of power. Few can listen without being wiser and better. God, give to us this treasury of the things of your word that we might speak gracious words to one another so as to build one another up. Verse 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. You can go to a bookstore, Right, and you can go through all the different categories, all the different sections, and you will find so many different things written. And they're written by people who are incredibly knowledgeable about their given subject, perhaps even considered to be an expert in that topic. Or maybe they know several different topics so well that they write books about them. And certainly we can glean some things, some knowledge from the things that they write, it's a fundamental difference between us as those who intend to live the good life as defined by the scriptures and those who do not. And that is that we have two very different worldviews. We live our lives under two very different realities. One is under the, under the reality of God and Christ and the other is without that reality. And so we can take those words and the things that they write, but we consider them through the lens of scripture and that is how we grow in wisdom but as knowledgeable 
as man may be about the topics that they write about, they're nowhere near as wise as those who heed the careful instructions and the commands of the Lord. Because as knowledgeable as that person might be, they are still navigating life without a map or a compass. By the way, do you know what the one of the most or the best selling category of books is? Especially romantic. It's a romantic category. Romantic slash erotic. Like, so things like Fifty Shades of Grey. That's actually very telling about what society pursues and what it's entertained by and what it loves and what it's after. And actually, in the top five is actually spirituality and religion. It's another best-selling category. But I bet that a lot of what's out there isn't actually very good. As Christians, as believers, as those who desire to walk in the way of the Lord, we may not be as knowledgeable as the world is when it comes to how the world works, but we do know one thing, because we carry with us a compass and a map. We do know those things that help us to walk in the way of wisdom. Because the person who does not walk in the fear of the Lord forsakes the compass of his life. And the person who does not abide by the words of the Lord forsakes the map. And so they wander aimlessly throughout the world. They do not know where they're going, though they think that they are going in the right direction. But the scriptures tell us there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death. According to the scriptures, we know the general geography of our life. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7:13, "Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and it is narrow that leads to death, or leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And the way is hard for many reasons. One reason we will get to in a moment. But the wide way, the wide way is easy. That is the way that everyone thinks they're going is the right way. It is the way of plurality. Where everybody thinks that their truth is their truth and that their truth doesn't impede with somebody else's truth and they can all coexist in harmony with one another which doesn't quite make any sense. It's an age of plurality of truth, a fluidity of identity, right? If you read the headlines to see what's in the news, people can identify in whatever way they want. They can be whatever gender they want. They can even identify as an animal if they like, and that's actually a reality. People do do that. Where meaning can be derived from anything or any person, or meaning can be whatever I want it to be. Whereas the scriptures say, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death. And Jesus tells us the general geography of those who walk in the way of wisdom, and that is, it is the narrow gate. That is the way that is hard. But it is the only way that leads to heaven. It is the only way that leads to eternal life. It is the only way that leads to the Father. It is the only way 
that leads to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself being the way. Even as we walk in this narrow way, right, we're adorned with wisdom. Not only that, but it also comes with a guide and a map. Right, each and every believer is given the Holy Spirit of God, who is the one who guides us into all truth, who sanctifies us, who comforts us, who strengthens us in our weaknesses, who prays for us in our weaknesses. And we have the map of his word that helps us to know the way in which we should go, that helps us to direct our steps, that helps us to know exactly what to do and how to live our lives in this world that is anti-God. And the scriptures say that this narrow way is the good life. Now the contrast continues, and the passage now takes us to consider the way of the foolish ruler and the way of the wise. Going back to chapter, or verse 5. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Now, the preacher, most likely King Solomon, he's not in any way trying to favor those who are rich or favor those who are royalty, like kings and princes, and disfavor the lowly and the poor. But he's presenting to us another contrast. He's contrasting the fool and the princes. He continues to come to this theme of how we might not always expect or how we might not always see what we expect. That things don't always go the way that we expect them to. And it's one of those cases where we see something that we should not expect or we see something that is in some ways scandalous and then he actually considers it to be a great evil. That is when you have foolish people as rulers who also then go on to set up other foolish princes and rulers over a people. And you have others living as slaves that you might expect should be in those positions of rule. It's a theme that we continue to see. And even in the eyes of the world, even for a secular person, right? You might, the secular person might expect that the ones who are leading, who should be leading, are the ones who should be most equipped who are most knowledgeable, perhaps most educated, perhaps the most trained, because those are the ones who are most equipped for these positions of leadership and authority. But as we saw last week, if you might remember, it was the poor, wise man who saved the city and not the king, showing us that wisdom is often found in places where we least expect to find it. This also points us to a pattern of scriptures that we consistently see from beginning to end, and it is a pattern that even to the secular person, to the unbeliever, is quite scandalous and doesn't make sense. God chose Abraham, who was a pagan and an idolater, out of his pagan world to be the channel of blessing to many nations. 
God took a man who was raised in Egypt under the gods of Egypt with a speech impediment and made him to be the leader of God's people, delivering, him, delivering them from slavery in Egypt. God took a young shepherd boy and made him one of the greatest kings in Israel. And that pattern continues even into the New Testament where we read of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as he's described in the scriptures. And this king we would expect to be born, perhaps in a palace, but he wasn't. He was born in a manger. We might expect this king to be robed with majesty and splendor. Instead, he takes on human identity, human flesh, and dresses himself with the robes of a servant. We might expect this king to be seated with those who are the most wisest in the world, with the religious teachers, with emperors, with rulers, with authorities. Instead, he eats and dines with sinners. And how did they treat this king? They mocked him, and they beat him, and they crucified him. And on that cross, he died. Because the people of his day could not imagine that this would be their king. Because they expected something different. Because they expected something more. But we know from the scriptures that Jesus wasn't just human. Jesus wasn't just a servant, but Jesus was also king. And yet... We read in Philippians 2.6 that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is a king that the world might expect to be served, but instead this king came to serve. As Mark says, to give his life as a ransom for many. But we also know that the story doesn't end there, for he rose from the dead three days later, and he was ascended on high to sit at the right hand of God. And Jesus, and the scriptures rather, tells us this about Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross, that Christ Jesus has become the power and the wisdom of God. The power and wisdom of God. The power of God to save sinners from the judgment that their sins deserve. The wisdom of God in declaring those who are sinners who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ as righteous and justified and declared innocent from all wrongdoing. And in addition to that, 1 Corinthians 26 says concerning you and I who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. 
so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The passage is not intended to insult any of us, but it's intended to tell us that God chose those who may not have been the most intelligent, the most wise, the one who has done the most good works, but you and I have been chosen by the sheer grace and mercy of God to be saved through the power and wisdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the world might consider this as foolish. But as those who are crowned with wisdom, it should not matter all that much what the world thinks. What should matter most to us is what God thinks of us. This is what the passage says. Jesus became to us righteousness, sanctification, redemption, and also became to us wisdom. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. James 2.5 says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? So we've been saved through the power and wisdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Christ Jesus, through our union with him, we then also are considered to be wise for our giving our lives to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is important for us as we consider the last section of this passage. Verse 16 says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. So we turn here to the theme of foolish kings. A wise king is a blessing to his people, and a foolish king is a curse to his people and his land. And we have here a description of a foolish king. This kind of king is given to the appeasing of his appetites. He's hedonistic. He lives for pleasure. He's like a child without self-control. He's led by his emotions, led by his passion, led by his flesh. Is a kind of king who cannot discern the times. Like a young child who cannot be able to tell the time, this kind of king does not discern when it is time to war and when it is time for peace, when it is the time to mourn and what is the time to celebrate, when it is the time to eat and what is the time to fast. This kind of king is characterized by inactivity. He's slothful. He doesn't do much. He doesn't get things done. The roof has caved in because he kept putting off the small or kept putting off the small leak in the roof. So that yesterday's procrastination becomes today's disaster. And because he governs a people, his decisions have repercussions for everyone else. And the passage points us to the unbreakable link between those who rule and his people. But what we also learn from this passage as we consider the good life is that 
kings or rulers that are characterized by folly can make those of us who endeavor to live the good life painstakingly difficult. Jesus makes clear that the narrow way is hard that leads to life. We know that for a fact. It is certain. If you live for a Christian long enough, you know that living as a Christian is hard. But having rulers above us who are characterized by folly, who do not walk in the ways of the Lord, who do not love God, who do not care for God, only make our lives that much harder. I mean, their decisions can impact just about everything in our lives, such as how we educate our children, even how the kind of cars that we will buy years from now, to when we can leave our homes, to when is it appropriate for the people of God to come together, to how much we will spend on groceries and filling up our cars with gasoline. Many of the reasons we often feel tension in our lives as Christians is aggravated because of decisions that come from the top. Now, the passage cautions us against slandering and responding in anger because that would be sinful. But it is not slanderous to admit to ourselves that we are under an administration that is not friendly towards Christians. And therefore, we should expect that it would only get harder. That being the case, hardship in life is no excuse for foolish living. What we are called to do is to simply stay the course, apply the wisdom of the Scriptures, apply the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. We continue to follow the compass of the Holy Spirit and we continue to follow the map of God's word. So we show restraint when we show, should show restraint. We keep ourselves from responding in an evil or slanderous manner. Even though sometimes your life may feel like a ship surrounded by heavy fog, navigating under dark skies, upon dark waters, it's hard to see sometimes beyond the dense fog to see what awaits to try to plan ahead to see if there's some kind of hope beyond the fog. And you might be tended to pursue a different course or to turn back. But if you continue to follow the map of his word, it will never lead you astray. It will continue to be your wisdom in trying times. It will help you to make it past the dense fog to be able to see the lighthouse that guides your way safely to land. What does it look like to live the good life, the life crowned with wisdom, when life is made much more difficult by rulers above us? And the preacher has answered that question earlier before. He tells us, Enjoy the basic things that God has given to you. God has put food on your table. Praise God for it. Enjoy it to the glory of God. As God has put drink on your table, praise God for it. He has provided for you. Enjoy it to the glory of God. If God has provided for you a spouse, love your spouse to the glory of God. 
If God has given you a job to work at or whatever assignment that God has given to you, work hard and well at it, at it to the glory of God. If I may add, we also pray that the Lord would hasten his return. No matter who is the person who sits above us, whether it's Biden, whether it's Trump, whether whoever it is, we need to remember and understand that our salvation will ultimately not come from a president. But our salvation comes from the king who has already redeemed us from our sins and reconciled us to God and has promised that he will one day return. And so uh, along with applying the things that he has applied uh, or has uh, implored us to apply, pray that God would hasten the day when Jesus Christ the King will return for his people and establish his rule and reign on this earth because only then can we actually live the good life unimpeded by sin, unimpeded by our flesh, unimpeded by the world, and unimpeded by rulers who are pagan and hate God. And so may the Lord hasten that day, and may we long for that day, may we pray for that day unceasingly until the Lord returns and comes for his people. So by way of response, let us take communion together. And if you haven't done so yet, there are these small cups in the back table. Feel free at this time to walk back there and grab one. The Lord commands us to take the bread and the cup, this communion. And this reminds us of what Jesus Christ, the King, has done for us and coming down from heaven, putting on the robes of humanity, dying for the sins of his people. But this also reminds us or points us forward to the day when we will be reunited with Jesus Christ and take this meal with him. It represents the body of Jesus Christ that was bruised and broken for our sins, represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the remission of our sins here this morning, regardless of whether or not you are a member here at the church, if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, your life is characterized by the repentance that God requires of us, not perfect sinlessness, which is impossible in this life, but if your life is characterized by a continual confession of your sins and a walking in the ways of the Lord and you have received baptism, then you are invited to take this meal as a brother or sister in Christ Jesus. But if you have yet to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then we ask that you not take this meal with us because the Scriptures make clear that this is a meal given to those who are part of the household of the living God. And anyone who drinks this meal in an unworthy manner that is apart from faith drinks a judgment upon themselves. So in a moment we'll have a time of reflection Take that time to reflect on the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. Take the time to confess any sins to the Lord that you need to confess, but also trust in the forgiveness that is there for you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friend, if you have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then take you also take this time to reflect. Reflect on what you have heard this morning. 
the promise of the scriptures is that their sins will one day find you out, that one day the bill will come due. The scriptures warn that you will pay dearly and you'll spend all of eternity paying the debt that is unpayable. But you can have your debts forgiven by placing your faith and trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you simply confess your sins to the Lord, confess that He is Jesus, that He is the Lord, and commit your life to following Him, you will be saved, you will be forgiven, and you will be given eternal life and receive His Word as the map of your life and the Holy Spirit who is the compass of your life. So let us take a moment to just reflect We'll read to us a passage, scripture, then we'll take bread. Afterwards, we'll read another passage, scripture, we'll take the cup, and then we will pray and conclude with one more song. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, For I have received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Let us take this together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Let us take this together. Lord Jesus, please come soon. Come for your bride. Come for your people. We eagerly wait for your return to establish your reign upon this world. Lord, until that day comes, would you please continue to give us the wisdom we need. Help us in the challenges we face and the struggles that we are called to endure, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the home, whether it's through the raising of children, whether it's in the family. Lord, help us to be faithful. 
Help us to put on the crown of wisdom and to never remove it. And may our lives be a pleasing offering to you. May we give ourselves to your honor and glory each and every day in everything that we do. Continue to dispense your great grace towards us each and every day. And give us the strength to you to do what you command us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand in and worship once again as a response of today's message. Before the throne of God, befitting. Amen.
For the salvation, Lord, that you have placed in us. Worthy, Father, for you are king. King above all. Lord, we come before you in full humility, Lord. Desiring to pursue wisdom as we heard today. God, I pray you, you may equip us, Lord, with wisdom as you guide us into all truth, Lord, through the narrow path. Lord, may you open our eyes to our foolish ways and remove all pride in order that we may be saved from the evil under the sun, Lord. Lead us, Father, into your wisdom in Christ, into the good life, staying the course by the grace and glory of God. Word of God says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed.